week, we are joined by Andrew Coppolino. He's a well-known local food ambassador and advocate for the Waterloo Region, Wellington County, and Perth County food scene. We discuss the current state of the food and beverage industry during this COVID pandemic and how we can expect the industry, as well as patrons, to evolve when this is all said and done. Enjoy the show. All right, welcome to yet another episode of the Industry Podcast. I'm your host, Kip Saunders. Um, with me, as always, Dan Soretta, the producer of the show. How are you doing, Dan? Doing very well, thanks. And yourself? Good, good, good. Stan inside. Um, today, we have an excellent guest, uh, Andrew Coppolino, who I'm sure many of you are familiar with through his work with CBC. So we're going to get bring him in in just a minute. Just a reminder... Um, the best way to help the show, if you like what you're listening to, is to subscribe to it, rate and review it on, on wherever you're listening to your podcast. And also a reminder, if anyone is in the industry and interested in doing the show, to just uh, DM us at uh, the Industry Podcast on Instagram. Uh, okay, so let's get right into it. Andrew, how are you doing, buddy? <laughs> I'm doing all right. That's a funny question that I get asked, and I've asked people, how are you? I hope you're yeah. well. And it's just such a weird, weird situation uh to be asking that question because we all know what the answer is right yeah it sucks for everybody yeah yeah exactly <laughs> exactly uh, not, so not how... to put too not to put too fine a point on it but you know, right. it sucks for everybody. <laughs> uh well actually while we're well, let's talk about that for a little bit like how uh, first of all let's well let's talk uh, let's get started by why don't you just explain to people who aren't familiar with your work uh, exactly what it is that you do well, yeah, I, I often struggle with that question. I'm not too sure what it is I do exactly. I guess I call myself a freelance writer. Uh, that has been my vocation, I guess, for the last 15 years or so. Um, I didn't start off as a food writer. I kind of grew into that over that period of time. Uh, I write for a number of magazines. I have a CBC uh, food segment. Um, I do some writing for newspapers. Um, but what I like to think that I do is act as more of a sort of an ambassador for the food scene in Waterloo Region, Wellington County, uh, Perth County. I just like to tell the stories of restaurants mm -hmm. and, and bars. And I've told the story of, of a number of them just to sort of say, hey, look, at these places are out here. I mean, I really like this place. Uh, I went to it. I had a good time. Uh, I just want to share with people the uh, you know where we can go to get this kind of food, this kind of beverage, but also just to make people aware too of of the huge um, sacrifice almost that a lot of these restaurants and food operations make to to do what they do. I just want people to know a little bit about what's happening behind the scenes uh, and to uh, you know to not take it for granted. I think that's really, really apparent now that we don't have access to it, how right. we might have taken it for granted. Well, I mean, on a personal note, I can certainly say you've been extremely supportive to all the places that I've been involved in. So I know that we in the industry certainly appreciate your work. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, how is this uh, whole pandemic situation that we're living through right now affected your specific job? Well, uh, you know, I, I mean... At its sort of basis level, uh, you know, I, I've lost money. I lose money. I mean, a lot of things that I used to work on and write about are gone now. Uh, work that I, work that I used to have is gone, uh, just like the restaurant business. Um, right. You know, restaurant businesses are down seventy five percent, eighty percent. I don't know what the numbers are, but I've I've lost money. But that's that's not. I mean, obviously, that's important. Obviously, making money is important. 
Um, but I'm lucky. I'm in a very fortunate situation and that my income is not the primary income for our household. Um, how it's really affected me is, is I really believe in the industry and I've been a huge supporter of the industry throughout this uh, sort of southwestern Ontario. Uh, and it saddens me to see all of these businesses struggling, many of them dying. Uh, and the workers and the people that run them who have so much passion, Kip, you know what it's like. Yeah. Uh, they're, they're struggling. They're trying to reroute and trying to repivot and change the direction they're going. So uh, for me personally, it's cost, it's cost money, uh, but more on a sort of philosophical level. Uh, I, you know, uh, let's make, make no bones about it. The, the service industry is critical to uh, the economy uh, of the country. Uh, well, for every dollar that's spent in a bar or a restaurant, a dollar eighty-five is spent elsewhere outside. When that worker gets paid and goes and buys a pair of shoes, or you know, go gets a tattoo, or goes have a beer, or whatever. Exactly. So you know, losing all of that is critical in a way that's much more deep, much more deep than than my loss. Uh, yeah, and we. Um... Yeah, well, it's and, and the the uncertainty of the entire situation is, I think, what's affecting a lot of us. Just because when we are allowed to reopen, and I don't, we we are, we're usually a few recordings ahead on when we drop the podcast. So, like, fingers crossed, maybe there's a small reopening by the time this one drops. But um, uh-huh. we we don't know when, like, when we're going to be able to reopen, and once we're able to reopen, how that's all going to work. Um, Regards with, with regards to social distancing and um, health guidelines, masks, gloves, whatever they're going to require, right? So, right, right. And like what to, we assume there's going to be some sort of limited capacity as well. So, um, what do you see? How do you see this affecting the industry in the future? Do you have any predictions or are you like the rest oh, of us? Oh, n- yeah, I mean, it's going to be huge, Kip. I mean, I don't really know. I don't have the crystal ball. I, I know all you guys that are in the business. Uh, who have your lives staked upon it or, you know, a good portion of your lives staked yeah. upon it are trying to figure out what that is too. It's going to be very, very different. But I want to mm-hmm. take a step back though, because I believe that the the system is inherently has inherently been broken for the last many, many decades. Um, it was broken before the pandemic hit. And I think what's going to happen is we can't go back to the way we were before the pandemic hit. We can't go back with this being such a risky operation, we can't go back to a point where people can barely make a living staying alive uh, in this industry. Um, something has to change. And I think that point, I think, has been reached. What it will be, I don't know. I think restaurants as we know them are going to be different. I don't think there's going to be a restaurant that we recognize that will be the same probably ever again, like in my mm-hmm. lifetime anyway, maybe for somebody coming up, a 15-year-old learning how to wash dishes you know might see might understand but i think i think we're looking at uh restaurants that have to they they can't put their eggs in one basket they can't all be about bums in seats and just trying to eke out a living you know thursday friday saturday so that they can make payroll on monday or tuesday you know what i mean like yeah well yeah i very much know what you mean (laughs) as for yeah as for you know as for tools in restaurants uh you know I like going to restaurants that are busy, that are loud. Like I've been to your, uh, I've been to your bars. You know, yeah. they're busy, they're loud. Uh, people are having a good time. People are partying. That's what I like about the industry, right? I, that's going to change because there's not going to be, you know, sixty no. people packed into a little, you know, eight hundred square foot space or whatever. Um, 
so it's it's going to be hard to tell what's uh, on the horizon. All I know is it will be very, very different, and I think it's going to be very, very different for a very long time. Uh, can we talk a little bit about you were saying backing up about the industry being broken? Um, I, I don't disagree with that. Can you talk? Can you get a little uh, more into that than maybe describe what exactly what you mean by that? What 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 specifically? What part of the industry do you think needs repairing? Well, I think I mean restaurants, and and I and I and I can't speak to a place that makes most of its money uh, as say one of your one of your bars you know where where food is 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 not secondary i don't want to say that but people go to a bar for different reasons and they go yeah. to a restaurant right yeah yeah so for a rest um for a restaurant you know there's there's nothing there's absolutely nothing that a restaurateur or a chef owner or whatever you want to call them controls there's nothing they don't control anything they control their menu right they control mm-hmm. how much they charge but mm-hmm. they don't control they don't control things like labor costs. They don't control how much their rent is unless they own the building. But even then, if they own the building, they don't control interest payments on mortgages and all that kind of stuff. Uh, they don't control the cost of food. They don't control the cost of booze. They don't control the cost of anything. They're they're a, uh, a sort of a victim of all of that kind of stuff. When prices go prices go up, they have one choice to make. Uh, one choice to make: either they're going to raise prices on their menu items and ask the customer to pay it, or they're going to absorb the cost. And they're going to take a lot. They're going to make a little less money. Right. Well, that's a broken system, right? Yeah. That's an absolutely broken system. Uh, labor. Well, you know, like we're looking at now. Who are who are the people that we turn to in this pandemic? Who are the people that we look for as uh, sort of our connection, our lifeline? Firefighters, nurses, doctors, guys picking up our garbage. Ah, and also people that work in restaurants. The guys and gals that work in a restaurant that are serving food for people, and we come in, curbside pickup, whatever it is, all of a sudden, these workers who are making, well, you tell me, I don't know, what's the, I don't even know what the minimum wage is. All I know is they're getting a very little bit of money. Right. They're the ones who are at risk. They're the ones who are in the, uh, in, in, the, in the trenches doing the job for other people who have the luxury of being able to go to a restaurant and buying a 60 or $80 meal and taking it home or, or whatever. So that's broken. I mean, we can't expect people to live hand to foot, hand to mouth, you know, <laughs> on minimum wage and have a decent life. So we need to change the, those elements. I don't know how you change those elements. Yeah, but those are the elements that are broken. That's the thing, right? Because if you're talking about increase in labor, and I don't uh, in, in labor rates, I, and I don't disagree with that. I do think that people who work in the industry don't make enough money in general, right. but also coming from the ownership side labor outside of like rent is your is your biggest expense right uh and usually even more so so there's got to be some way that 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 increasing wages for the people who work for you doesn't also cripple the ownership and close the business here's no here's the here's the here's the third part i guess you would say this is the critical one this is the one that i've been harping at with people for a decade now and i get uh can, can we swear on this podcast? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> okay. All right. All right. <laughs> I get really fucking pissed off. And uh, yeah. when, uh, you know, I, I ask someone or someone says to me, you know, I went out for this steak and it cost me $28 and I can go to Walmart or Costco or not to, not to knock any of those places, but yeah. I can go buy a steak and I can get a strip loin for 14 bucks and I can cook it at home. And I say to you, yeah, can you? Can you really cook it at home? Can you cook it at home like a really good restaurant cooks and charges you $28 for it? No, I don't think you can. So the other part of this equation 
is if people want to have restaurants as we remember restaurants to be before pandemic, if you want to go to a nice restaurant in downtown Kitchen or downtown Toronto, downtown Hamilton, and you want a glass of wine, a bottle of wine, you want to have a cocktail, you want to have three courses, you want to have a, a digestivo, you want to you want to have a nice time and then Uber home and you want to go down 200 bucks. If you want that, you got to be willing to pay for that. And I don't think the customers are the ones that are willing to pay for that. The first question I see on these, all these stupid Facebook pages and people looking for, how much does it cost? How can I get it cheaper? Where can I find it? Where can I find the best wing deal? You yeah. know, I'm thinking, yeah. is that what you want? Because what you're doing by saying, by saying you want cheap this and cheap that is you're saying, screw this industry. All I want is me. And if that's all you want, then you cook it yourself. But if you're willing to go to a restaurant and pay and tip really, really well, I'm talking like 20%, or maybe the cost gets worked out so that the waiters are actually making a living wage and a, right. and a salary, you know, you should cook at home. I think food prices are going to go. What's the last thing? What's the last resort for a restaurant, a restaurateur like yourself? Okay, can I put the venue price up on that dish five bucks? Well, right. you know, you can't, right? You know, you can't because it's the customer. So my passion is to try to tell people who are buying food, the most important part of the, ch- the supply chain, basically, the people buying the food, the customers, you got to pay for this. If you want it, you got to pay for it. I never, ever, when I was, when I, my kids were like little babies and had to buy car seats, and I, I never went out and said, what's the cheapest car seat I can buy? <laughs> right. I'm going yeah, yeah. to put my brand new daughter <laughs> who, just, who was just born. She weighs like 11 pounds. I want the cheapest car seat. Oh, and you know what else? <laughs> you know, and you know what else? I, I got to find some cheap tires. Yeah. The thing that touches the road yeah. and permits and, and allows me to control my car down the 401, you know, down the I-95, down King Street South, whatever, East, whatever, is a cheap bunch of rubber. Like, I want to find the cheapest thing. So why do you think your food should be cheap? According, like, if you want a good steak and you want a good cocktail, like, and you want to pay the bartender like at uh yeah uh, like a sugar run or like at roof or whatever they're going to mix a cocktail for you and they've spent four hours before that time prepping everything making right. simple syrup making all kinds of infusions and tinctures and all kinds of magical stuff oh why does this cocktail cost me 15 bucks eh, well it doesn't have to cost you 15 bucks stay at home make it yourself amen, right and brother you amen what that experience <laughs> You're, you're paying you're paying for experience that's what people don't understand you're well and that's full experience i'm really glad you brought that up because that i i struggle to get that through to people all the time too and and in fairness like people have never worked in the industry really don't understand the labor that goes the, the prep and labor that goes into what they experience when they come to the bar i get right. that but um it's great that we have people like you to bring that to their attention but i also struggle with this all the time i constantly i mean both of the places i've owned are not cheap places to go. Um, right. They're, but, and so I'll, I'll often get the blowback from people. It's like, oh, like, and you see it on social media or whatever. It's like, holy fuck, the cool spot, but it's fucking fortune to drink there or whatever. And it's like, I can't afford to drink there. And I'm like, yeah, well, okay, then maybe you're not the customer to come to my establishment, but we're trying to, we're selling you, we're not just selling you a drink or a snack, we're selling you an experience, right? Right. And that, yeah. That's and I think that that's what people need. To, I think I think that's a great way to say it. Is rather than maybe the industry itself shifting everything is like the, the pers- 
perception of the customer needs to shift in a way that like, what are, why are you going to a place? It's not just for a steak. It's not just right. for a cocktail. It's for an experience. That's what you're paying. Yeah. I, I don't like to, I don't like to think of it as a binary thing. Uh, and I know that's not what you're doing, but I don't like no. to think of it as the restaurant and then the customer, those mm. two things, those, those two people that those two parties have to come together in a, in a sort of a social contract. We're going to go into an agreement uh, that, you know, I'm going to come into your establishment. You're going to get any good service. You're going to get any top quality ingredients. And I agree that I'm going to pay money for that. And I'm going to do it. And I'm not going to do it grudgingly. And I'm not going to get on frigging Facebook afterwards and say <laughs> about how I got ripped off for this or ripped yeah, off. For right. That, right. I mean, this thing, the number one difficulty for restaurants after the pandemic has been Facebook reviews. I mean, let's be serious about it. These are, these are idiots. Sorry, not idiot, the idiotic comments, yes. you know, that are ill, ill thought, ill considered, and that are completely without any situational awareness or any context. Yeah, so man. I think, I think we need to think, I think this is a perfect time to reset the industry. I think the pendulum has swung now way over to the left or right or whatever, but it needs to center back. Now we need to sort of say, okay, what do we want at a restaurant? And yes, you're right. Maybe a $140 meal is not for you. Right. Maybe your meal is 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 some kind of a, a kebab on a stick and a pint of beer. Sure. Uh, that costs you sixty yeah. bucks, forty bucks for two people. And you know what? Great. That's, that's it. That's, that's nothing it. wrong with that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody's no, got to do what's right absolutely. for them. I, would you look at it as like maybe? And I like how you said this about uh, it's sort of being a not a binary situation. Uh, I hadn't really thought about it but that way, but you're right. It's almost like a social contract between the, right. but the, the restaurant and the guests. And it's like, we're all in this together, right? Like, rather, right. Here's, here, here's another, here's another analogy. Think of it this way. When, when you go to see your doctor, you work with the doctor, don't you? Right. right? <laughs> like you want to try to work. You want to make that as easy as possible. And what you are, the three guys are sitting here, right? And when we get, a particular kind of exam. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, a, there's a little bit of trust involved, and, yeah. and when our wives or our or our girlfriends or or our sisters or whatever go, they get a particular kind of exam as well. That's not comfortable. It's not pleasant. But you sort of work with that. You work with the doctor, right? It's it's a it's a relationship that you're sharing in, right? So the exact opposite happens though when you go to a restaurant. I can guarantee you uh, guys that if 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 someone walks into the restaurant. And the guy's taking the, uh, taking somebody out on a date, or it's a, it's a couple that have been going to restaurants for years. You know, the first thing a person is thinking, the guy who's paying probably usually, how much is this going to cost me? And am I going to get value for it? If you go into a restaurant experience expecting uh, under those circumstances, it already tick, it already sets up this agonistic this sort of tension between yeah. how can I get most food for the least money? Well, that's that's what's got us into this this problem with restaurants not being able to, irrespective of the of the pandemic, that's what's gotten into this 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 problem with restaurants not being able to make enough money. Because I walk in the door, the first thing I'm thinking, how much is this going to cost me, and how do I get the most value for the least amount of money? Well, I, I swear, I, I don't know any other industry where that happens. Right. I, I really don't. Yeah, sure, you want to have a good value for your money. Sure. I think that's what people need to think about. Good value for the money. I have I've met some great waiters and waitresses in my time. And they have enhanced my experience. I've learned about food. I've learned about restaurants. I've learned about uh, drinks. I've learned about the industry by talking to them. We create a relationship. 
So at the end of the meal, I'm happy to tip 18 to 25%. I'm happy to do that because this is a person who's in my community. They've taught me a lot. We've had a good relationship for that you know, 15 or 20 minutes that we've had interaction at the table in the, in the two hours that I'm there. You know, well, that's the way you should be looking at your restaurant meal. If you don't want that, if you're not willing to pay for that, stay at home. Right. No, Cook I think that's really well put. Um, yeah. Well, I'm glad you brought that up. And I'm, I, that's, uh, it's a, a unique way of looking at the industry that I think you're right. This is this, we need to, um, we need to shift to that sort of line of thinking overall. Um, I also, um, I do want to get into a little bit of uh, your background. We want to talk about you a little bit as well. Um, uh, what, read, read through your bio. Uh, I, I did, uh, I know I saw something that I didn't know um, that you started as a cook at uh, 20 King. <laughs> well, it's going back a few years. So yeah, I mean, it's an interesting story how I got here. And, you know, there's two people I'll mention in the course of this story that really they changed the direction of my life. I've been an academic my whole life. I taught at universities in Canada and the United States. I was a graduate of uh, Engl uh, two English degrees, and I was working on a third English degree on a PhD. Uh, and I was really tired in between two of those degrees, and I wanted a break. And I got this job. Um, I got this job, believe it or not, delivering linen. Now, if you're in the <laughs> restaurant industry, you know the linen industry, right? Okay. I mean, oh fuck, man! I, where were you when I needed you? Yeah, okay. <laughs> so no, well, I was I was with a company, a London-based company, and I was delivering linen, and I got this job because I saw it advertised in the newspaper, and I and I said to my wife, I said, "Geez, you know, I'm gonna try this because I'm tired of doing the, I'm trying to writing writing, you know, essays and papers for my master's degree, whatever. I want to try this out." So I went, I got the job for some strange reason. I got the job. It paid like this was a long time ago too. It paid like twenty nine dollars an hour. It was it was huge after being after being a graduate student. I got to stop so you right there months. because uh, if the, if these fucking linen drivers are making that much money right now, then I am <laughs> I am getting ripped off, and I might run yeah, a review about yeah. it. Do, do your own do your own laundry at home. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, sorry. Continue. Anyway, I did. It lasted two weeks. It lasted two weeks because it was such a god awful job. It was hot. It was humid. It was dirty. You know. Going into restaurants with like in July in their up, upstairs lofts where they were storing laundry, it was smelly. It was horrible. Yeah. I couldn't do yeah. it. But in my last couple of weeks that I did it, um, I bumped into a restaurant in downtown. You know, you named it Twenty King, and I said, "Hey, are you ever looking for you know, someone to to prep vegetables?" I used to work at the hospital kitchen. I used to you know do veg prep, and I thought I could be a prep cook. You know, like if you're ever looking for someone like that, I'd be interested in doing it, right? And they said, well, come back in, this, come back in the fall. And uh, so I came back in the fall. And, I, and they said, sure, you want the job? It's yours. So I became, I became a garde manger. I, I, was, I was in charge of you know, desserts and cold plates and salads. And I did the pizzas there at 20 King. The original 20 King was uh, on the other side of King Street, down where uh, Mark's Caribbean is right now. Kip, right. you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. So uh, uh, I started cooking there. And I, I spent about two years there, uh, maybe three um, just learning the ropes. I applied and got accepted into the Stratford Chef School. Um, and I learned a hell of a lot. <laughs> you know, I had a three-year-old or a five-year-old and a seven-year-old and I was making like $5 and 40 cents an hour. And it just wasn't, it just wasn't for me, uh, to do. So I left, I left the business and, uh, I went back to school. But in the meantime, I also picked up, uh, the restaurant review job at the, at the record newspaper. And because I had some cooking experience and I was a good communicator and a good writer and all that shit. Uh, I got the job and I did that for about seven years. 
Okay, and that's I, when my freelance career took off. But I have to say, I just want to say, I just want to yeah. shout out to Peter Martin and Lori Nadlow. Uh, you might know those names. Lori's an excellent cook and a wonderful, wonderful teacher. Peter owned 20 King for years and years and years. And um, I mean, they changed the course of my life. And, and now I'm, you know, I had the privilege of being able to write about restaurants and talk about restaurants and talk to you guys. And, uh, and I'm making marginally more than $5 and 40 cents. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, okay. So I, a couple of things I want to touch on there. Um, first of all, how old were you essentially when you got the job, say at 20 King? Uh, uh well, I had a five year old, if that's any indication. So I would have yeah. been in my, well, I won't say late, I want to say late twenties, okay. I guess. So yeah. That's, yeah. So and, that's... and go ahead. No, no, no. And that's sort of like, that's the usual, at that time, and this is many years ago now, but at that time, that was the usual pattern for people that were accepted into the Stratford Chef School. They would come from other degrees, come mm-hmm. from other professions, and find cooking as their passion. And if you yeah. think about some of the greatest cooks in art history, if you think about uh, Charlie Trotter or the late Charlie Trotter or uh, Jeremiah Tower, uh, they're, they're a Stars restaurant in Los Angeles. It's an amazing, amazing restaurant that changed American cuisine. Alice Waters, all those kind of people. They came from other professions. Both of them were in other professions and came to cooking afterwards. So I was at that age, but I just couldn't make the numbers work financially. Right. Well, when you got a family to support, that's a different situation. Now, um, talking about, like, it seems to me, obviously, that um, someone who has started out in English, doing a PhD in English, teaching English, and then also um, then going switching course working in the 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 food industry aspect of it and then going to chef school well perfect yeah. perfect fucking job to get is a restaurant review writer yeah yeah, yeah. so yeah it is uh yeah. just to clarify though i didn't i didn't go to stratford chef school though i didn't no you just got you got you just got accepted i got accepted yeah, but it was okay. a time time for me to change yeah. yeah okay so uh but obviously you would, you have some knowledge of the food industry at this point. So um, that you uh, let's, I just want to talk a little bit, like, I know this is not what you do now. And, and I, I, I think I understand the reason why you could sort of switch your focus, but I do want to talk a little bit about the restaurant review game, because I think it's, a, a, it's a maligned industry from, um, the perspective of people who work in the industry, but I also think it can be a little bit misunderstood. So um, if we could just touch on a little bit about uh, what what you liked, what you didn't like about it, what what value you think it holds. Uh, yeah, you know, it's interesting. It's certainly, it's certainly an industry. The reviewing industry has changed a lot uh, since I started it. I mean, primarily when I was doing restaurant reviews, there was no internet, right? So right. there was... There was there was none of this sort of Facebook and all of that kind of stuff. I think I think it has value. The thing I tried to bring, first of all, when I started at the Record uh, newspaper doing the restaurant reviews there, I was the first reviewer in a very very long time to use my own name. They all use pseudonyms before that, right? Oh, is that right? And, and is that, would, that yeah, yeah. Would yeah. you think that's pretty industry standard that people use pseudonyms? Uh. I think not. I don't think any longer. I think it was at a time they went and, through that sort of straight. The reason being because, like, in case they have to write a shitty review of a place, they don't necessarily want, want to. Uh, there was a yeah. There was an effort for anonymity, and I think anonymity is is important. And I don't think we have anonymity today. That's a problem. However, right. I think I think with the names, it's more accountability. 
It's more being accountable. If your name is on that, then you have to be absolutely sure that what you're saying is legitimate, is balanced, uh, is reasonable. Um, and I, and I, and I think that where, where we've gone awry is these uh, reviews where I could set up a, a Facebook a name or a Twitter name or whatever. And I could say all kinds of God awful things about a restaurant. Right. You know, and I'm not, no one can hold me account for it. When I, when I submitted my review, my editor would look at it and he'd say, Oh, okay. You said this, this, and this, do you really want to say that? Like, that's harsh. Do you want to say that? And it would make me think about it. And I would say, yeah, yeah, I want to say that. And, and that's the way it would get published. So there's a sort of a second, you know, there's a sort of a second voice there looking at what you're writing. And I'm right. not sure that, I don't sure we have that outside of legitimate newspapers. I believe that anonymous, uh, impartial reviews that come from sort of legitimate uh, journalistic sources are the best things because there's right. answerability, there's accountability, there's, uh, there's a need for balance and perspective that I don't think you get when, when, you don't, when people don't have that. I really believe in the democratization of Facebook book and everybody having a voice, but I don't think it's always reused responsibly. I don't think it's always used fairly. And I don't surely don't think that it's used very knowledgeably. No, right? man. And it, honestly, mean, it's, easy it, for some... it's honestly used for fucking vendettas sometimes. Like, and I can give you an exa- a recent example at Sugar Run where um, we had to throw a guy out based on his behavior in the place and uh, essentially, essentially ask him not to come back. And yeah. uh, I, I knew the guy, so I did, I texted him. I'm like, look, man, I'm sorry. I can't I can't abide this shit. You, you like yeah. just, don't, just don't come around for a while. And he freaked right. out and he was like, I'm gonna wreck all your reviews on fuck on uh, TripAdvisor and I'm gonna destroy your rating on this right. site or that site. And I'm like, what the fuck? Like, I mean, the whole issue was his issue. And he, yeah. I'm just trying to run a business here. And like, right. And, right. and and I think that's what a lot of people don't realize when they just go to these sites and they're just like, right. oh, this is a review. Well, I, that ha- like, I don't know what the percentage is, but a large percentage of that, those reviews are just complete bullshit. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I don't, to, to be honest with you, Kip, I don't spend a lot of time on those sites because I find, yeah. I find, I don't find any value in them. Um, I, I think that, uh, you know, the, the sort of, the ability to be able to speak doesn't mean that you have value in what you say. Those are two things that I think get conflated. The power to be able to speak does not mean that what you say has value, right? I oh mean, my God. everyone should have the ability. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody should have the right yes. to say something, but <laughs> excuse me. But what they say doesn't necessarily have value. In every avenue of life. It's not just in our industry, yeah, but like, absolutely. yeah, like, yeah, sure. just because you sure. have, you have two right. thumbs and can fucking type something right. on your phone doesn't mean so, your opinion matters. Right, yeah. exactly. So I had as a restaurant reviewer and it, it's the same with the restaurant viewers today. The, the three that are doing the restaurant reviews here uh, for our local newspaper, um, you know, they're, they're, I think it's the same, I think it's the same system as when I was doing it in the, whatever that was, you know, 15, 12 years ago, whatever it was. Um, here's the way it would work. I would go into a restaurant. I would eat. I would come home. I would think about what I've written or what I've eaten. I would write notes. Uh, I might look at their menus. I might look at whatever online presence they had, which was limited in those days, call the restaurant, ask them about it. It was at that point that I would identify myself and say, I'm writing a restaurant review about your food, about your restaurant on a visit based on this day or that day or whatever it was. 
um, and I'd like to speak with you. And so they'd give me the interview and they'd send a driver, uh, photographer to come take a picture of the building and all that kind of stuff. And then I would write my review and then I would submit an invoice to the rest to the paper plus the expenses, right? So that's right. the way it worked. Now, if I went to a restaurant and I had what I thought was a very bad experience, I would go back a second time, right? I would go back um, a second time and I would see, try them out again. I, 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 I got to say, you know say that's fucking great because the people have off nights just like in every other example of the history of human behavior, right? Like in, right. Any, other, in, in any other industry, people are allowed to make a mistake or have right. an off night. Right. But in our yeah. industry, God forbid the waiter, let's say the waiter's dog died and he had to come to work directly after. He might be a little bit off his fucking game, but there's no, oh, sure. but nobody cares, right? So, yeah. Sure. It's like, it's the, it's like, uh, I, and I think that's the, the perspective having been a cook. And I'll tell you, when I was learning how to cook and I was doing, <laughs> I was making Caesar salads and I was making pizzas and I was making a couple more complicated dishes, but holy shit, that was really stressful. Like when you're just learning and you don't have any experience to get thrown onto the line as the third cook in a restaurant that might do 140 uh, 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 turns, uh, you know, 140 um, uh, people a night. Like I, that was very stressful. So I understood what restaurants were like. So mm -hmm. when I thought the hollandaise sauce was kind of split a bit or something, I thought, okay, that's not the way hollandaise sauce is going to supposed to be. Right. If, if five other things were wrong with the meal, I'd go back a second time and I'd try it again because I understood that, hey, maybe the dishwasher quit midway through. Maybe the chef didn't show up. Maybe, you know, maybe yeah. the maybe maybe the fryer broke. Maybe there's all kinds of shit that can happen in the back of a restaurant, as you know, so that can impact that. your experience. So I wanted to be fair and I wanted to base what I was doing on the, the veracity, on the truth of what can really happen in a restaurant. Now, look, I got a question for you. Can I? Can yeah. I put my interviewer hat on? Yeah, well, this, so, is how, this is how I'm used to doing it. So. Okay, so here you go. Yeah. <laughs> so, so here's the thing. The thing that I struggled with is if I'm a, if I'm a guy and I make like you know, $60,000 a year, I got two kids and I want to take my wife out for dinner. We want to go out for have a nice dinner. I've got a limited amount of money and I have you know, budgeted the day and the time and I made rigs with a babysitter, blah, blah, blah. And I go out to the restaurant and I have what I think was not a very good experience. Um, I don't have the luxury of being able to go back a second or maybe even a third time right. uh, and ask, you know, and asking for a second chance. So how do I, how do I get those two ideas to sort of okay, uh, well, hold and, together? And now yeah. here's the thing, and, like, and I'm, I'm bear in mind that I'm opening myself and maybe this whole fucking industry to like. Uh, being taken advantage of a little bit, but because people will do that, that we've all we all have stories of people who complain about the food just to get a free meal. Um, the yes, I, I as an owner, my my way of dealing that would dealing with that would be to request instead of you going home and typing up a shitty review about my spot on your right Twitter, Twitter account, come to me. Ask, yes. call, come back, ask to speak to the owner, say, this is what happened when I was here. Describe it exactly how it happened. And then mm -hmm. I can try and rectify it by either, like, I'm obviously going to go check with my staff as well to make sure that the right. stories match up. But the but then I can be like, okay, well, I'm really sorry. I would love to, I would love it if you would give us another chance. Here's a gift certificate. Come back. And then maybe they can right. come back, have a free meal. 
and give us another shot at it, right? Because at the end of the day, I want them, I want, though this whole business is about um, gaining and maintaining regulars. So like, if somebody comes one time and is like, fuck that place, it sucked, that's, uh, that, that's how you lose in this game. So right. I, I would just like the opportunity to correct the situation rather than okay. You, okay. rather let me, than have let me, you. Let me ask yeah. you. Another, yeah. No, let me ask you another question. Then I'll follow up my question now with a bit more of an interrogation. Okay. <laughs> um, so I've, I've eaten. I've eaten at one point. I had counted up at one time when I was doing these reviews. I had counted up. I probably ate at you know 480 or 500 restaurants or something in a span of seven or eight years. It's like an enormous number, mm. uh, and I don't, don't think. I ever received, I mean, that's the kind of thing I think that's the potential for you guys as restaurant owners to mm. change the conversation, to change the channel on how things work. I want, I want to see you come up to the table at the end of the night. You, the owner, not, right. I don't want, I don't want to, I don't want a waiter. I want to, I mean, the waiters are great, but I think it should be the owner that comes up and says, here's your bill. I want to know, I want to know any little thing problem that you had, and I'm going to take it very seriously and mm. I'm going to correct any any issues that you have. And if they say, "Oh no, we're fine, we're fine, we're fine," now they could still go away and write a shitty review about you, right? Right. But at least, at least, if you were to hit, I don't know, if you were to hit like 75% of the tables in your restaurant of, a, mm. of the customer, the customers, you know, could that change the dialogue? Could that create could that create that contract that we mentioned earlier between owner and customer? I don't that's know. actually I'm that's just that, saying okay. That, well. I, 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 let me logistically just, it's difficult for you to do right because you've got a lot of things to worry about yes and, I'm not, drinks. and also i'm not there every single night right like, of course because, of course uh, but but like a 75 percent is a legitimate number that you could work with assuming we're not like completely in the weeds at the time um i yeah. i i think that i think it's a great suggestion to be honest with you, you may have changed the way i think about this because at the very least if i have that notion in my head then i could hit as many tables as I possibly can. Right. And you know what so, this is like, Kip? This is like, this is like old school, uh, like 1950s, uh, New York, uh, Manhattan, uh, upper class restaurants, you know, where the owner would walk around, you know, in, in the 300 or the $500 suit, you know, sort of talking to all the customers, right. talking to all the customer, you know, like big man kind of here I am kind of thing. But yeah. you know, about that might be a way to make that connection. I just want to jump back again to the social yeah. media thing. Social media obviously is a good thing and a bad thing, right? You guys can use, uh, restaurateurs can use social media to promote what they're doing for free. They can tell their story. They yeah. can get out all kinds of information. But the back the backlash of it, the, the way that people abuse it has been really, I think, detrimental to the restaurant uh, industry. And I think that needs to change as well. I think that it's far too easy for people to say, this is a piece of shit. I had a crappy meal here. That guy doesn't know what he's doing. You know, and in the background, you don't even know it, but they're the cousin of the guy who owns the competing restaurant. Right. The different, yeah. the different shawarma shop, you know, six yeah. blocks west, you know? Yeah. And, and so there's that hypocrisy. And I think that's the that's the importance of what what the newspaper real legitimate newspaper uh, reviews do. They don't have that vested interest, right? right. Like they're not part of the industry in any way. And I think I think that as we as we lose newspapers, we also lose that 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 bit of of well, uh, yeah. honesty and integrity. Well, you know, and another fucking podcast right there about yeah, that. There you go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 But uh, no, I agree with you, and I and I think that that's an important point. If for anyone who's listening to this, is to literally 
consider where to consider the source, like in anything you read online, obviously, but specifically in the in the topic that we're referring to right now, consider the source of wh where are you getting this review from? Like, yeah. is, is, right. if, if it's a random person online who you've never heard of, is, right. is that as valuable as like the record review? No. I don't know. You don't, you don't, I just, I, I can't believe like, uh, you've, you've been in a few kitchens, I'm sure. Uh, yeah. And I, and I've been in a few kitchens and even though I didn't, I didn't work, I worked in one kitchen. Um, I've been at dozens and dozens of kitchens throughout the, throughout the region doing TV shoots and doing other video work and stuff. Yeah. I understand how they work and I see how they work, but I went into a local restaurant here, <clears throat> excuse me, in uptown Waterloo. I ordered a meal. I called in a meal. I came in, followed all of the social distancing, uh, physical distancing procedures, uh, you know, to get in the restaurant, make sure I was being safe, being very respectful of the staff there. And I looked at these five, four people that were working and they all had those big heavy masks on, you know, and I'm thinking, holy smokes, like I can wear a mask for like, like 30 seconds before I become like I'm suffocating, you know? So right. these people are working this shift, this whole shift in these masks. And I can still see somebody on social media, whether it's Facebook or, well, it's mostly Facebook, uh, saying, oh, I got this meal and it was no good. And, you know, it, yeah. you, you know, it was too expensive and they screwed up this and they did that. And I thought, oh, in this time, those people are putting their lives on the line, being out in public, being with other people, trying to social distance them, uh, physically distance themselves. And this is what we get on social media? Like, and then where can I get the cheapest wings? I think, holy yeah. God. Yeah. And going back, like, really? going back to what you said earlier as well about the prep that goes into it, what used to drive me fucking crazy is like that people don't seem to also understand the difference between I, this is not to my personal taste and this is garbage. Like, yeah. And recognizing like uh, we've spent, X amount of hours on prep to make one specific cocktail for you that we put a lot of time and thought into that was very sure. popular elsewhere. And then I would read online, oh, that cocktail was shit. I'm like, well, no, right. you you didn't like it, maybe, but that right. but that doesn't mean it was yeah. shit, right? right? Like, yeah, yeah that's, exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah that, you know, and uh, you know that's that's the sort of the bugbear of the whole industry. I mean, you're not gonna you as you as restaurateurs aren't gonna get past that. There always is gonna be that sort of small slice sure. of the population that's going to be like that. And we need to, we need to hope that it can be mitigated or it can be uh, overcompensated for by the person who really wholeheartedly absorbs the industry and understands it and is willing to sort of, is willing to sort of cover that off. It makes me think about, someone asked me about the $14 steak versus the $28 steak. And I said, well, how much do you like to get paid an hour? And, and she would say 35 bucks an hour. And I'd say, that's great. Okay, so figure it out this way then. So you spend a few minutes maybe more figuring out what the meal plan is for the night you write down you write a you figure out you ask everybody what they want to eat for dinner that night at home uh you write a list out you get in your car you drive to the grocery store maybe go to five stores to get all the ingredients if you're doing all that crazy local stuff right you go to your butcher you go to the person that sells you vegetables you go to your fishmonger so you drive around for two hours collect all the food you come back home then you prep it all you spend all that time cutting, dicing that, brunoise of this, you know, julienne of that. You're going to make a stock. You're going to do this. You make this lovely group of ingredients. Then you cook it, okay? So the the, whatever dish takes, you know, 18 minutes to finalize a risotto or whatever, uh, plus the steak on the barbecue. Then you got some vegetables that we're cooking. Now you plate up. Put it on the table. It takes your family like and a half minutes to eat it. And it's right. <laughs> then you collect, then you, right? That's the way it is, right? Then you collect yeah. all the plates. 
you scrape off all the dirt, garbage, you put the compost in one pile, you put the other non-compostable stuff in another garbage pail, you, walk, you, you clean up all the dishes, you put the dishes in the dishwasher, you clean up the, the stove, you clean everything up. Okay, well, how much time have you invested? Seriously. Uh, yeah. How much time have you invested? Have you ever added it up? Yeah, and then yeah, do this. Perfect. Do this, figure out what your mortgage payment is. Figure out what your rent is. Multiply that or divide that by the 30 days in the month and then the day, the hourly that you spent, the hours that you spent doing it, uh, plus the gas you burned or the electricity that you used. Um, I guarantee you <laughs> that you're not making 35 bucks an hour. Right. I guarantee you. Right. You know? Well, that's well. And I think people need to think about that. That is perfect. That, yeah, that, that, and I agree with you. And hopefully, people listen to this fucking podcast and hear that because I, I don't know if we've had anyone on here who's put it that in such a, um, yeah, succinct, succinct. Well, try that word again. Succinct um, <laughs> fashion, like that. Just, just straight to the heart of the matter, where it's just like this is like what it comes down to at the end of the day. This is what's behind it. This is what this is what we all do on a daily basis to provide you with a, an experience that's different than you can get in your house. Right. Like if I'm, I, I, I sent you that video that I did about cocktails, right? Yes. And I'm, uh, this is for people that, for people that are listening, I, I did a little thing about Stanley Tucci. I just wanted to have a fun little thing with a, with a Negroni. And I think part of my succinctness uh, comes from the fact that I'm drinking one right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, well. I, but anyway, but anyway, that whole, that whole idea of uh, time, that that you know we don't you don't you don't see the charge for time like if you guys itemized your bills like what if you what if you took a menu item and you did steak frites if the steak frites was on your menu a classic bistro 1920s dish and you itemized everything it took blanching the potatoes cu- or cutting the potatoes uh soaking the potatoes three times blanching the potatoes in water then cooking them on the first fry, then cooking them on the second fry, then the steak preparation, then all the side dishes that go with it. If you itemized everything on that on that one dish, what would you get? You would get a line of about 12 or 15 things that caught that took hours and hours of time. And at the end, the bottom line is $28 for steak free. Uh, you know, like that's that's unbelievable. That's a fucking value. That's, that's a value. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. And, yeah, and I and I and I I will say I do like I have sympathy and empathy for people who have not been in the industry and do not understand that. I just think the difference between my industry and every other industry out there seems to be, with exception of maybe like acting or singing or whatever, um, the entertainment style industry is that like, if with, with respect to our industry is I get that you don't know what goes into it, mm-hmm. but in all other industries, I don't know what goes into fucking say Dan's job where he's like, um, we don't have to get into it, but like Dan has a very technical job that involves like routing ships and shit like this. So um, yeah, I don't have a fucking clue about any of that, but I also don't therefore criticize it. Right. (laughs) You know what I mean? Whereas like in our industry, people have no fucking clue what goes into it, but feel very free to criticize it because they watched the Food Network earlier that day. Well, no, I mean, yeah, I mean, it it doesn't even go to the Food Network so much as everybody at some point in their lives throws together something to eat. I will never, ever, ever fix the catalytic converter on my car. I will never, (laughs) ever fix the brakes. Right, right? Right, never. Never. Yeah, people so just think no they idea. can do it themselves. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, okay, why does I can put a steak on the barbecue? 
And I said, well, no, I don't think you can put a steak on the barbecue like that because this steak that you just ate, it wasn't barbecue. It was cooked on a planche that was 800 degrees, mm-hmm. you know, like the charcoal steakhouse. And they seared that thing, you know, perfectly. And they made a sauce and they had a reduction and they did all that kind of stuff. And then it got plated. And then, you know, so I think people equate the fact that food is very visceral to us. We need it to survive. Everybody has to eat, but everybody needs a car. Not everybody needs a stand. Right. Not everybody needs, you know, not everybody needs X, Y, Z or, you know, fancy clothes or whatever, or really funky glasses or whatever it might be. But everybody needs food. And right. everybody, everybody reacts to food as if they know about food. And they do know about food. They know about food that sustains them as people. They don't know about food that is paired in a restaurant that's, that's got as much experiential and uh, entertainment value as anything. I mean, a restaurant meal should be an event. If, right. it's, at, if it's at a... If, if we're doing it fucking right, yeah. Right. If, yeah, it's, yeah. A, if it's a bar... That's like a, uh, like a, uh, what do you call that? Uh, uh, Rum Runners Pub. What's your yeah. bar? What's the theme there again? I feel the, the words have left me. But, uh, no, no, speakeasy? no. That, yeah, yeah. Speakeasy? Yeah, the yeah. speakeasy. That's right. Yeah. If it's a speakeasy, you, you're paying for the atmosphere. You're paying for the darkness. You're paying for the, yes. the kind of the sultriness of the atmosphere. If you go to the Rich Uncle, you know, you're using a sort of a, a classic downtown diner, uh, classic downtown restaurant that's uh that's got this long long history if you're going to shawarma joint you know it's got a piece of uh lebanon or whatever right. it might be you're paying for all of that value sure you can make shawarma at home but i guarantee you that it won't be like the shawarma you're getting unless you're a really good cook it yeah. won't be like the shawarma you're getting it won't be like the cocktail you're getting i mean uh yeah i i, I think it all comes down to the experience it all comes down to um not a not a not a willing suspension of disbelief. That is, you know, there's a term about the, the, the willing suspension of disbelief. That is, I'm going to believe that this is happening because I want to have the experience. And I think that's what you have to go into with a restaurant. You have to go into a restaurant believing that you're going to get a, uh, you're going to get an experience that is valued and that, and that tastes good and that is fun and that will there'll be a memory there that'll last for a long time, right? And and also, in fairness to the guests as well as we mentioned earlier with the social contract, well, then you should also receive that from us. Like right. we have we have an obligation also to deliver. So right. yeah, and and I'm not saying that there's no, that all like I don't want anyone to take away from this conversation that all bars and restaurants are beyond your fucking reproach because you are not you're not experienced enough to judge them properly like right. I, I i i we do need to be judged and it's also how we get better uh, I, I think sure. the takeaway is that just take some time to think about what we've done to put into this right i think i think you need to i mean what i strove for as a restaurant reviewer was achieving some balance i wanted to show balance if there was something that was wrong and, I, and some guy i don't know I, I don't know who he is andrew amlin is his name um, or maybe we should, maybe we should mention his name. But he's yeah. a he's a cook. Too late for that. Very. <laughs> uh-huh. Owen. Sorry. Do you know him? I I don't know. No, well, but, but I mean, he he posted a he posted a photograph of a review I wrote of Wildcraft when it first opened back. I don't know how many years ago that was, but and he was the cook then there, and I had said something nice about his soup, right? So he had taken a picture of that newspaper article, and I had written about his soup. Um, 
you know, um, to recognize too that we're dealing with people here, right? Like right. these are human beings yes. that are working really, really hard at a job that they don't get thanked for, that takes 14 hours out of their day, that's sometimes physically dangerous, mm-hmm. uh, that's hot and hard to do. I mean, I think you need to take that into consideration. So if you have a bad experience at a restaurant, the first thing is to try to solve the problem while you're at the restaurant. Mm-hmm. I don't like this steak. And if you tell that to the waiter and the waiter or waitress tries to correct it, they should get thumbs up for that, right? Yes. If yes. the waiter doesn't doesn't take his his or her job properly, then you should elevate it. You should say, can I speak to your manager or whatever? And then that person tries to escalate or that try, person tries to correct it. If that doesn't happen, then you should talk to the owner. Yes. And I think with all of those things, when all of those things happen, then there's probably a very, very good likelihood that it will get corrected somehow. Well, fuck and yeah. Like it's not in our best interest to have you right. walk out of there unsatisfied, right? right. So, yeah. Do you know what? But do you know what? If it doesn't get satisfied or if it does get satisfied, but it took a long time, then that should be reflective in the review too. I think the thing about the restaurant reviewers that are professional or not professionals, but they're, they're restaurant reviewers who are part of the uh, established media, let's say the legacy media, mm-hmm. is, that, is that they're balanced. So if, if you go through a hellish nightmare of, of a meal uh, but they try every at every point to correct it, then that has to be reflected in your experience, right? right. And that's what they do. When I said that this was a little bit off, but they tr- they corrected it and they made an effort, that's good marks for them, right? Mm. The problem with social media is it's kind of like it's heavily edited. All of a sudden you say, oh, I'll just leave that part out. I'll just yes. leave out that little bit of a fact and just right. say this was a shitty experience, ever going back there again, and neither should you. Well, uh, that's that's... That's 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 like Donald Trump. That's what yeah. that is. Yeah, and conversely, on the other side, like we do have people in on my side of the coin too that just can't take criticism, constructive criticism. Right. The eagles are too large. I I've been through the situation as well. I know. Right. You, like, uh, um, you've c- contacted me, and I really appreciate it. You've contacted me directly rather than like writing about it where you thought something was off in one of my spots, and maybe and but you were working with me to help me correct it rather than like just write a scathing fucking review about it and hope that solves the problem. Right. Like, and that's what I like about what you do compared to like the standard restaurant review um, where you are sort of an ambassador to the community. You like, it it matters to you that we all do well. Right. Exactly. I mean, again, it goes back to the contract. If you want to have 15, no, no, no. If you want to have 800 restaurants or 650 restaurants in this region, so that I I love going I love going to the small mon pops that do like a a shawarma dish. I mm. love going to the more elaborate restaurants. One of my favorite restaurants when when it's our anniversary, we will go to Langdon Hall. I mean, right. I love all ranges of restaurants. I love bars. I love shawarma joints. I love pupusas. And we have a really rich culture or a growing and rich culture here in Waterloo Region, especially of restaurants all along the range. We want all of those restaurants to survive, and everybody should try to support them. Right around the corner from you, there's the uh, African Cafe, African uh, uh, Ethiopian Cafe there across near um, near your place. I want that restaurant to survive. I want Grand Trunk Saloon to survive. I want yeah. the Grand Cirque to survive. A Sugar Run. I want Mark's Caribbean to survive. I think we need to think about what those things va- what those things are in our neighborhood and how we value them. And if the if think about that for just uh, two seconds, you'll realize that, you know, there's something, there's a responsibility I have 
for helping them improve. And, and it's not getting on Facebook and saying, look at this crappy dish that they sent me. And they right. call, they charged me 28 bucks for that. And who do they think they are? What a lot of shit. I mean, that's not the way to handle the situation. No. I mean, if you were, if you were, if you were complaining about that car seat, you know, like, aren't you going to first go and talk to them about it rather than go online and say, what a piece of garbage. I mean, this yeah. is a serious matter. This is an important thing that's going to save your kid's life. You don't want to take it trivially and make it into some platform for you to spout off about right. how you're, how you're this great articulate critique of, of, uh, you know, of us, uh, our culture. And yeah, and at the end of the day, I think a lot of people also don't recognize that it's people's or, or just don't allow themselves to recognize it because then they would have to think more carefully about what they say and write is that it's people's livelihood that you're fucking with. Not just me as the owner, but everybody, yeah. who, fucking, everybody who fucking works for me, right? So, I, think there's a, I think there's a scalability too. I think that, you know, if I'm a, if I'm a two-bit, two-bit Facebook reviewer and I'm reviewing a gigantic restaurant in downtown Toronto with, uh, you know, access to sort of, you know, 40, 400, 800,000 people or however many are in that immediate area. Uh, there's a little less, a little less damage you know, yes. that you're doing. Yeah, that's right. But in a community like ours, it's fairly small. Yeah. Um, it's growing. And I have to tell you, let me get back to another sidebar, but it's growing. And I think, we, I think you have a, I think you have a, a responsive, a social responsibility. If you believe in this contract to sort of be fair be just and be balanced in what you're saying because you do have an impact on someone's business. If a restaurant like, uh, I don't know, like a 30 seat, 40 seat restaurant gets, I don't know, uh, 60 or 70 seat uh, uh, bums in seats on a, on a Friday night, you know, that's, that's about all they're going to get, right? They're not going to get two turns. They're not going to get 160. It's not going to turn over at eight o'clock and a whole new clientele comes in like it does in Toronto. So if, if 10 people, decide not to go to your restaurant because they've heard of this scathing, ill-conceived review, that's, that's, that's possibly that whole week's worth of, of, um, of payment for, for, for yeah. a dishwasher or whatever, right? Yeah. So you got to be careful about that kind of thing. Um, you know, I, I just want to jump back then to what I said about, about the Toronto and, and this region. Um, you know, when I was out at an event in Toronto one uh, year, about two years ago, they said it was a food writers thing, and, and they and they invited me, and it was great. And they said, Andrew, you'll th- I think you'll really enjoy this this dish. It's a local, it's a piece of local elk. And I said, Oh, really? Okay, cool. Elk, I love that. Where where's the elk from? I said, and they said, Oh, it's from it's from Fergus. And I said, Well, wait a sec, that's local for me when I'm in Waterloo Region. It's not really local uh, when you're in Toronto, you know. No, so there's yeah. this whole sort of, you know. But my point is, my point is that we've got a lot of really, really, really good restaurants, really good farmers, really good food producers here in Waterloo Region, Wellington County, Perth County, and they're all within, you know, 15, 20 minutes, half an hour drive. Like that's really quite amazing. Like I think that this region is poised to be a really, really important food hub for for the whole province, right? Like it's not Toronto, no, but it's very different. We do have our farmers. I've said this before, and uh, again, this is the Negroni speaking. There's, <laughs> like, I, there's, there's only a few places I've ever been to where I can sit at the corner of King and Queen, right near your, right near your shop, yeah. and have a piece of strudel, say at the Walpers TWH, and in 15 minutes, unless I can be, unless I can be down in the orchard where that apple was grown at Martin's family right. fruit farm. You know right. what? 
that's pretty unique. You that's don't find cool. that. Yeah. yeah, you don't find that in many in many locations. We've got farmers like it just pours into this region, and we need to take advantage of that. We need to market that. We need to sell that, and we need to say to people, "This is real. This is good. This is unique." And you know what? You're going to have to pay for it. So buy into this and make this work and decide that one weekend you're not going to buy, you know, uh, six extra bottles of, of uh, liquor from whatever, you know, favorite whiskey shop you got. And you're going to support yeah. a local restaurant and buy their cocktail there and have their steak fleets and support their workers. Well, Andrew, I can't, couldn't agree with you more. I really appreciate you talking about all of this stuff. And I, and I think that what people need to take away from this is the social contract that we all have together. I personally would like to thank you for all the help you've given me and my businesses and, uh, all, and all, also just the support you've given us. And, and, I, and, I, and I thank you for your time today as well. And let's just all hope that we come back from this and we all have places to go to and people are surviving. And, um, and yeah, we need more of you in this industry, Andrew. So thank you very much. Thanks for your time. <laughs> well, thanks for giving me the opportunity. It's, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Uh, even if it is on zoom, I'd rather have been face to face, but yeah. again, you know, I think it's a, I think it's an important thing for people to grapple with. I think they really need to, we really need to think about what that contract is and what it means to the people buying the food. I think, I think the people making the food and selling the food, I think they know what they're about, but I don't, I'm not sure that the people buying the food really know all of these issues. And I think it's up to us, all of us to be able to promote that and let right. people know what the truths are. Well, it's, it was great getting to interview you for a change. You hijacked it for a, a, about 10 minutes where it got flipped on me, where I knew that was going <laughs> to fucking happen at some point, but <laughs> no, thanks for doing this. Andrew. If, if, can you just give uh, our listeners a rundown on where they can read and, and or listen to you? Oh yeah, sure. Well, thanks. Yeah, I mean, I, I every Friday morning I'm on uh, CBC Radio at 7:40 uh, in the morning. That's um, uh, 89.1 FM. I talk with Craig Norris on the Morning Edition, just about local food issues. Uh, you and I have talked about that, yes. and I've taped you talking about cocktails and stuff. I get to do that. I'm really happy to be able to do that, and I think that uh, the CBC is great for being able to give me that opportunity. Uh, I write for a couple of newspapers, Kitchener Post. Uh, well, sorry, no, they're, they're, they've closed down, but Waterloo Chronicle, Cambridge Times. Uh, and the record, Waterloo Region record. Uh, I'm in a bunch of other stuff as well, but those are the those are the local things. Uh, check out my blog at andrewcopolino.com. I talk about these issues, and um, I, I mean, I, you know, said about thanking thanking me for 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 you know helping you, but but I haven't done it without it being warranted. I mean, if it's not warranted, I don't write about it. You know, so when I believe in somebody, I support them, and I think that's what we should all do. Uh, I don't want to hurt businesses. Um, no one should. We should support businesses that we believe in and and do the job we need to do to to, to make sure this is a great place to, to have food and beverage in, uh, in southwestern Ontario. I appreciate that, buddy. Thanks very much. And thanks for doing this. And hopefully I'll see you soon at the actual bar. Yeah, you know, I'm going to have I'm going to go downstairs now. I'm going to make another Negroni. Yeah, do but that. I want you to make I want you to make one for me. at sugar run real soon. OK, thanks again, Andrew. Cheers. Bye.